It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to another edition of Locked On Titans. I'm your host, Jimmy Morris, joined as always by Terry Lambert. Terry, how are you tonight? Doing pretty good, Jimmy. What's going on? Uh, not too much, and we also have a very special guest tonight. Uh, but before we get to our very special guest, Mike Keith, uh, a few housekeeping things that we always talk about at the beginning. Terry and I write for MusicCityMiracles.com, covering the Titans for SB Nation, so you can check us out there. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, just search Locked on Titans. So um, what a keep up with everything that we're doing. Tonight, as I mentioned, we are joined by Mike Keith who is the, obviously the radio voice of the Tennessee Titans. Uh, they've also recently started up a podcast, the official Titans podcast, um, which is done through the official site. You can find it on iTunes and all that stuff, too. You should check it out. It, it's, it's really good. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm great, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on the show. Yes, well, thanks so much for uh, agreeing to jump on. Um, all right, so... Obviously, we just you know came off the draft. It was uh, it was a very exciting draft, uh, something I guess unlike what we've really ever seen here before. Uh, so from the top, I heard on I heard Jonathan Hutton on the midday 180 talking about your reaction to the Rashawn Evans pick. Um, so that you were you were pretty excited about that pick. So what was it about that pick that, that made you so excited? First, yeah, apparently there's some video of how excited I was at the draft party and. <laughs> been taking quite a beating over that which i say if that happened i deserve to take the beating but i i was pumped yeah i was really really pumped because i just think rashawn evans is something we don't have i think he is that versatile linebacker who's so active and just makes plays we really haven't had that sort of guy since keith bullock just a game changer a, a guy who's a disruptor he can, he can turn things on a dime because even if you're not lined up perfectly or everything's not perfect to the defense or whatever, he can just make a play. He can just stop a big play. He can get a takeaway for you. He can sack the quarterback. This, this player had to work his way up at Alabama, and so how they used him at first is they said, you know what, we got to get you on the field. We're just going to let you rush the passer at defensive end. And so by the time he got to being a linebacker, he already knew a lot of other things. And I think that versatility and that athleticism of what he does and how smart he plays, I think all of those things together make him a, a very special ingredient that gives something to this defense that they probably have not had. And I don't mean to knock anybody else. Please understand that. I, I just think this is – a, a difference-making player that we haven't had in quite a while at that spot. Uh, Harold Landry, that was my, my favorite pick of the draft. Uh, you know, we talked at length going into things that the Titans just had to figure out the, the plan of the future on, on the edge. Uh, but I wanted to talk about his, his immediate role. Uh, where do you see him fitting in with Brian Arakpo? Uh, Derek Morgan still in the picture, and and also with Sean Evans, like you just said, probably going to get after the passer as well. I think Rashawn will be used in different ways. I don't think an outside linebacker is probably going to come off the field at the point when Rashawn rushes. Although you know, who knows what they may look like? I mean, these are these are two pieces that give Dean Pease something very different. 
and can give a different look. I, I think Landry's a rotator pretty quickly. I think he could be used in some packages where we have three uh, pass rushers. You know, we did that some with Walden, Morgan, and Arakpo. You could do that with this kid as well. I think he'll have a chance to contribute on teams. I, I think he just fits so many different things that we need from the outside linebacker position. And, we, you know, we've got some other guys. You know, there there's some people who could certainly make some things happen for us and, and have a chance to step forward. But he has that look of a, of a dominating player at the outside linebacker position. And if you're going to run this defense, you've got to have these players. You can't play the 3-4 without edge guys who can, who can really wreak havoc. He looks like he can be one of those guys going forward. All right, and so obviously, you know, traded up for the first three picks. Uh, so a four-player draft class, which is, you know, odd. But, I mean, I think there was a lot of talk about how, you know, the, this roster didn't have a whole lot of holes coming into the draft. And there was some, you know, depth right. issues probably. But as far as, you know, having really big holes, John Robinson's done a great job of filling that in. And in, in the fourth round, they take uh, – or the fifth round, sorry, they take Dane Cruikshank, a safety from Arizona. What do you know about him? knew a lot about Crookshank actually in a, in a strange way because he was a player that we sort of uh, looked at when we knew they had to do safety. They had to come up with a safety. You know, if you honestly, if you take a look at the depth chart, the place that scares you the most is safety because outside of, of Cyprian and Bayard, there really wasn't anybody who had much experience playing the position in a Sunday game. Uh, Trawick had, had done some, but, I mean, very, very little. Uh, Denzel Johnson looks like a prospect, and, and we'll see. But, I mean, he hasn't played at any at this point. They've kind of looked at some different people at different points playing there. Kalen Reed had gotten a look at safety and some others. But, I, I mean, you needed somebody who plays safety. Now, this is a player that doesn't have a ton of safety experience, but his physicality, and, I mean, he's a hitter. And what he did at the Combine certainly blew everybody away. Had a really nice year for Arizona. And in a way, you sense that Crookshank may be a player who has finally found his position. He was just okay at corner. You know, and Arizona chose to move him, and he played much better at safety. So his upside and the fact that he's going to have a chance to sort of come in and learn and grow, he's not going to be expected to start. But you feel like this is a player who could be a special team stalwart and has the ability to step forward in time and give you even more than that. So I think it's a real exciting pick. I'll be honest with you. I really thought there was a potential when the Titans traded up that they might go safety right there. But I think the lure of Landry was so great, and it's so hard to find edge guys. They had to go ahead and take Landry. But it would not have surprised me had they gone Justin Reed or somebody like that right there, because there there is such a need going forward at the safety position. And, you know, some of what you're going to see, I think, in, in where they go in the undrafted and then even potentially with where they go in sort of this third phase of free agency wouldn't shock me at all if they grab another safety or two. Uh, I want to talk about the receivers. Uh, it, it was There was a lot of talk. And maybe just from the outside, and like Jimmy says, as Titans fans, we're kind of 
conditioned to want receivers. Uh, but are you surprised that they didn't do more? You know, we're, we're now out of the, the bulk of free agency. We're through the draft, and all they added was Michael Campanaro. I'm really not, and, and I'll tell you why. Because I think Corey Davis has the look of a number one receiver, and what we have seen of him so far in the offseason has been a player who is playing with a lot more confidence like he expects to be good like he expects to be the guy. There, that New England game has kind of carried over for him, I think. That and the fact that he's healthy. And he's got some confidence. Different guy. If you take him and he becomes a number one, then I think it explains a lot more about why the Titans have not moved more in free agency. But the feeling is, look, you pick this guy fifth overall. You picked him to be this kind of player, so there's an expectation that he's going to take this step. And I think he's shown the looks of that so far. Now, I I get it. You know, it's May. We're not putting on any pads. You know, I, I totally get all of that. But at the same time, he stepped up, and with that, then Richard Matthews' role, then Taewon Taylor's role, then Tajay Sharp's role, then Campanero's role, all of those things make a lot more sense. But I will admit, a, a lot of what the, this receiving core is going to look like is predicated on what Corey Davis does. So after all the, the trading was done, they obviously had one more pick in the sixth round, and they selected Luke Falk. Uh, I mean, you know, you get the need there um, because you're, you're trying to find a guy that, you know, maybe can be your long-term backup were you at all surprised that they used that pick on a quarterback? I mean, we, t- we talked about receiver uh, as one of the options, and then just some, you know maybe some more depth position, you know, interior offensive line, th- that kind of stuff. Were you surprised at all that that final pick was used on a quarterback? No, I, I really, really wasn't. I think it's a great question, and I totally understand why people would think that. But all right, so let's talk about the logic of the receivers. We just discussed that how how they're hoping the breakdown will be. And obviously they're going to bring in the undrafted free agents to fill out the receiving core. A couple guys, remember Darius Jennings, uh, Zach Paschal, a couple guys too that could certainly fit into the, you know, to the mix if they decide to keep six, which is, which is obviously a question. Offensive line, well, you know, they signed four guards. They re-signed two of theirs, and then they signed two more in Pamphil and Suofilo. So all of a sudden you're saying, well, yeah, they're pretty experienced there. And the, the question becomes, there were these day three quarterbacks that a lot of people really liked, Laletta, Mike White, uh, Logan Woodside, and, and this guy, Luke Falk, who really, there's a lot to like about his game. Uh, he played for a, a coach who obviously knows the passing game well at Washington State. Uh, you're you are looking for that long-term backup answer potentially. You you'd love to get in a situation where he could win the job, and so if he makes it and that all works out, then that's a pretty good sixth-round pick used. It, I would say it's well used. If it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. It's a sixth-round pick. So I think from that standpoint, it really makes a lot of sense that in a year which 
where there were some nice quarterbacks in this draft, which means the the Luke Fox of the world would have gone higher in other years when the quarterbacking at the top was not as strong. I think you say you may end up with pretty good value there, and to me, it's worth the risk, especially having Blaine Gabbert on the roster right now. So you come into this draft with six picks. You come out with four players, three of which are going to be immediate contributors. Uh, you've got the flyer on Falk, which we just talked about. Is that a sign from John Robinson? Is, is he telling people, look, we're, we're ready to go, we're ready to compete for championships? No, I don't think so. I could see where some people would think that, but I I think what he, he is going to be constantly tweaking. And remember, this is a team with a lot of money. And you guys know this better than anybody. I'm, I'm not telling you anything. They still have a lot of salary cap room. They still have a lot of ability to to go get some of the players that. And we're already starting to see the releases. You know that that's already begun. Some guys are coming on the market who may be attractive. I think he saw the ability to fill some needs overall but he also really felt like he had the ability to get some guys who solved not only short-term but long-term problems and, and you know as you as your roster is going to evolve you've got to anticipate where you're going to be because here here's the thing there are a lot of reasons to be impressed with john robinson but the thing that strikes me the most is he's not scared to pay a player We've already seen that, and and look what he's done in re-signing guys. He is not scared to pay a guy, but what he's not going to do, guys, is he is not going to pay. He's not going to overpay a player. It's just like Demarco Murray. Demarco Murray did a nice job for us for two years, but let's face it, he's not a six million dollar back anymore, and and he's he's not going to get that if and when he signs somewhere else. So John stays very much within the market. And as we go forward with this thing, they're going to have to pay some people a lot of money. They're going to pay the quarterback a lot of money, the left tackle a lot of money. You get that. But it also means you're going to have to make decisions other places. You want to have options so you can make the best decision. And and that's what John was doing through this draft. But is he done? Is he satisfied? Is he... No. Oh, gosh, no. I mean, he was back in the office at, you know, 5.30 on Monday morning, <laughs> right back to work. He, he, you know, he thought he'd sleep in until 4.30 or 5, and he didn't even make it. But John's the first one in our office every day. It's crazy. Hmm. I get there. My wife's a nurse, and so when she has to go in really early, that means I'm getting up early. So I'll be one of the first people there on those days, and John is there every day. Every single day. It's crazy. So I've, I've heard the narrative that we thought we only needed four players, and I get it. And we don't need ten players, but by no means is it really a sign of anything. It was the chance to get the three players that we got at the top and you know, having the six-round pick as well and being able to get Falk. But I, I think it was about the guys that we could get who in another year we didn't feel like, you know, some years you couldn't get either one of those guys. I remember, you know, when we were, when we, when we ended up um, drafting Andre Wolfolk, the player that we were convinced we were getting, let's see, let's see do you remember, Jimmy, who we were going to draft? I don't. How good you are. Larry Johnson. 
We're all they, set to draft Larry, Larry Johnson yeah. to replace Eddie George. It's done. And, and they're sitting there saying, oh, this is so great because we're going to get Larry Johnson right here. Kansas City's on the board. Kansas City's already got backs. There's no way they're going to take Larry Johnson. And boom, Kansas City takes Larry Johnson. And so then we end up with Woolfolk, and Woolfolk was not the pick that they had intended to make at that point, but they couldn't get out of the spot, and they had to make a pick. And so you end up in that situation. And and that wasn't a matter of, of the guys not doing their homework. That was just bad luck. In this situation, you get Rashawn Evans, and you get Harold Landry. So you say, thank you. <laughs> that. That you that you had a chance to get these players. Long answer to your question. I apologize. No, that's great. Um, I, I think the the other thing too that I'm amazed about with John Robinson is his ability to understand everything else that's going on in the draft. You know, last mm-hmm. year he, he took Corey Davis. He started that run on receivers because he knew – I mean, we you know, we knew last year pretty much, right? They were coming out of the first round with the corner receiver. Didn't know who, right. what order, but we were pretty convinced that was what was going to happen. Um, right. A lot of people, you know, at the time were like, well, he reached for Corey Davis, but you saw the way it played out. There was none of the, those three receivers, you know, everybody talked about being a, being a first-round picks last year, were there at 18. Um, so knew exactly what he was going to do. Then, you know, later, uh, I guess Thursday night, you know, you heard, you heard the reports that the Steelers were trying to get up to get Rashawn Evans. So, I, and I just, I don't know if you, you talk about that. I don't know how much you're in, in the room and all that stuff as, as that stuff's going down. But I'm just amazed at his ability, being as young of a GM as he is, to understand what all these other teams are thinking and what they're trying to do. And like you said, to, to target his guys and, and, and get them, even if it costs something that traditionally – you know, people are like, oh, well, you can't give up that much. But, again, if if Harold Landry turns out to be the guy that we think he can be, you traded a third-round pick for him, basically. I mean, no, nobody's going to be upset about that. No, no. And, but let me just say, first of all, I've never been in the room. They're not letting me anywhere near <laughs> the room. So, so if, if I ever say anything that leads you to believe I'm trying to sound like I'm in the room, call me <laughs> on it because I've never been in the room. But here's what I do know about John. Uh, by the way, you got to believe New England was after Rashawn Evans, too, don't you? Oh, yeah, Where that, they that are makes... and the kind yeah. of linebackers they like. I think New England and Pittsburgh were absolutely after him. Um, and and you, you look at what he did. Uh, just to take your example even a step further, look at what happened with Laramie Tunsil two years ago. If we had tried to wait until 15 to get Jack Conklin, it never would have happened. So he traded back up to eight to get Conklin to make sure because he knew Tunsil was falling. I I don't know how you do this. I've never quite understood the stock market and how that – but there are certain people who have an incredible gauge of what something is truly worth. And John's like that about the draft. He he really has a gauge on on what's going to happen – and, and it's it's uncanny. I, I mean, he is such an impressive guy. He's done a lot of things for us. He took what we already had in place, and you know, Jarrell Casey was here, and Mariota was here, and Walker was in place. I mean, there were some pieces in place, and he was able to build on top of what we already had very quickly, which was fantastic. But he's just he technologically he's done a lot for us. 
the guys he has in place, I don't know if you guys know Ryan Cowden, but Ryan Cowden is going to be a general manager in this league at some point. I mean, he is something else. To get him to come over from Carolina and, and work with John basically as his number two is uh, is really something else. And then John has already developed a group of scouts who see things very quickly his way. And, and he would get mad if I said it was his way, but the Titan way. Um, there's a system in place. There's a consistency with what we're doing. And when we were good, we had that sort of consistency. We knew what we wanted to do. We knew what we wanted to be. And then, frankly, we lost our way. And that led us you know, into the wilderness for quite some time. I, you're not going to win every game, and, and not everything's going to be perfect, and not every player's going to work out. But if you if you stick with it the same way and you have consistency, there's a much better chance of, for you to have success. You know, like the Pittsburgh Steelers, like the Green Bay Packers, teams like that who have a Packer way, who have a Steeler way, um, that's what you're – that's what you want to get to. For a while, we had that. There was a Titan way for a period of time, and then we lost it. And uh, now I think he's bringing it back. Harold Landry's fall was one of the storylines coming out of the Thursday night. Uh, how much of that, and if you know, how much of that was due to his injury? Uh, is there anything to be concerned about? Is he going to be limited in, in rookie camp or anything like that? I don't think so. You know, John's made it clear, and, and Harold has made it clear that there was nothing there. Uh, I know he was training hard. I, I had a chance to interview him during the process, and I, I know he was training hard. He, he mentioned Taylor Lewan a whole lot uh, in the interview he did with me because he had been training with Taylor in Phoenix. And so I, you know, I don't get any sense of that. Like I said, I'm not in the room. I'm not privy to any of the medical stuff, but. John's made it pretty clear that they're satisfied with his medical, and Harold's made it clear that he doesn't feel like he has any problems. So, I mean, we haven't seen him in here yet as a Titan yet, but they certainly spent a lot of time with him at Boston College. He did make a pre-draft visit, you know, things of that sort. So they have done their due diligence on him. They liked him a lot. I mean, what what's really exciting to me is both Rashawn and Harold were players they would have taken at 25. They were both in the discussion. They were both in that pod of players that we had that we would have taken at 25. To get them both means that they had been vetted very dramatically and that we felt that good about. So, I, you know, I just, if there's something there to that story, I don't have any idea what it is. Coming up, we will continue our conversation with Mike Keith. Matt Williamson brings the scouts perspective to the Locked On NFL podcast. You got to talk 2018 quarterbacks. Josh Allen has the best quarterback record aside from Lamar Jackson, but the lowest completion percentage other than Josh Rosen. He's just been uh, complete garbage for the most part when he's been allowed to play. Yeah, let's throw a couple nuggets out on Allen, and I know he's a lot bigger a lot stronger, but he kind of reminds me of early career RG3. What's kind of remarkable about Allen is he is so gifted, and he got better, I thought, this past year, which is encouraging with the anticipatory throws and the touch of his throws, but his deep ball passing is like the worst in the league. 
Hear Matt with co-host Brian Peacock every day on Locked On NFL. Subscribe or follow today wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, changing gears just a little bit. I know that there has been, uh, you know, a couple of these mini camps. They've been on the field a little bit. Can you talk about some of the differences that you have seen with, you know, a Mike Vrabel mini camp versus what you saw with Mike Malarkey? It's different from a pacing standpoint. Coach Malarkey's practices were totally typical of what I have seen the entire time I've been here with Coach Fisher and Coach Munchak and Coach Wisenhunt and then into Coach Malarkey, and that was a, a very typical NFL practice. I think in Coach Malarkey's practices, there probably was more attention to detail, but when they were in the team period, uh, instead of just the you know the seven-on-sevens, whatever, but I'm talking about offense versus defense period, whichever starting unit was out, they were basically just taking a break. And there would be some players doing some things on their own. Back to the, the old days of Eddie George running laps or doing something while hit the offense was down or Kyle Vandenbosch hitting the sled while the defense was down. But mostly guys were just resting. In, in Coach Vrabel's practice scheme, you're doing something all the time. There, there are two things that you can see immediately from his practice, and this is just my opinion, but that were the hallmarks of Mike Vrabel, the player. Mike Vrabel, the player, you can you always knew was great on technique and was great on fundamentals, and he was also great on conditioning so he could take advantage of his technique and his fundamentals late in games, that he would not lose those things based on the fact that he was tired. So those principles are being worked into his practices. They're going fast, and even when your team is off, you're doing something. So if it's the defensive team period, the offense is on the side working on skills, vice versa. When it's the offensive team period, the defense is working on individual skills or doing some sort of conditioning. And the pace is really interesting. The other thing, too, is while Dean Pease is almost 69 years old, the majority of this staff is very young compared to me <laughs> they're, they're not like all 22 years old i'm not saying that but i mean they're 35 to 40 into their early 40s and the energy with which they coach is apparent of course john and mike are both in their early 40s and you know mike just got through playing a couple weeks ago it seems right so what you see from these from these two men and what you see from this staff is this just frenetic energy that's there at all times. It's not, it's not like a collegiate practice, not saying that at all, but it is a very different pace and a very different energy than what we've seen. But at the same time, I mean, we, we witnessed the practice last Wednesday. At a certain point, it was obvious that guys had been going so hard they were a little bit gassed. So Coach Vrabel said, okay, we're going to just slow down for just a second here and get everybody, you know, drink of water, drink of Gatorade, whatever, so we can be fresh for the last period. And you know what that shows me, guys? That shows me, you know, he, he's a former pro player. He knows how it works. You drive, you drive, you drive, you push. And then at some point you got to pull back because these are men. And I, I've been impressed. I, Vrabel does not look like a first-time coach, a head coach at least. He, he looks like a guy who knows what he wants to do, 
He is very much in charge, and I think the force of his personality is so is so big, and that is so important because guys, this is not a two win team. You know, this this is not a team that this is a team that won a playoff game a few months ago. This is a team that returns its core in place, and so the the fact that this guy has that kind of personality that has that kind of, you know, just sort of overall force, I think it's the perfect fit for a team that has had success. You know, Coach Malarkey did a really nice job taking over our ball club when we were down. Mike Vrabel is not taking over a team that is down, and so it takes a different personality. How he is, to me, seems absolutely perfect to capture – the attention of these players who've had some success. For as much excitement as there is around Vrabel, uh, it seems like there's an equal amount around Matt LaFleur. Uh, what can you tell us about him uh, and specifically his relationship with Marcus Mariota? You know, it's interesting with Matt. That's a really good question. Matt's a different guy. Uh, he is not the, he's more cerebral in terms of how he seems. He's probably a little more laid back. Um, he's direct with everybody. And, you know, the whole Marcus thing, it's really interesting because so Marcus has had Jason Michael with him the whole time, whether as his offensive coordinator or his quarterback coach. Pat O'Hara and Matt LaFleur are a change for him, a big change in terms of the voices in his ear. And to to me that's a that's an interesting thing to see that dynamic they talk in in what i've witnessed they talk a lot they spend a lot of time going over matt tells him what he wants marcus asks questions i think there's a good rapport between the two uh neither one of them appears to be terribly emotional at at any time you know they're not sort of rah-rah guys and you can you can sort of feel a connection between the two. Pat O'Hara is a guy; he's more of a personality, uh, more of a I don't want to say rah rah guy, but he he's just got more personality about him overall. He's fun to watch. And I'll tell you something I like about Pat O'Hara. I, I like the I like his arena football background because if you look around the league, look at Jay Group. Look at some of these other coaches who have some sort of arena background with quarterbacks, being able to make quick decisions, you know, being able to throw it from different angles. Um, there, there's something there that kind of works in a positive way, in my opinion. You know, I did three years of arena league, and it's a very different game, but there's some parts of it that you see and you figure out quickly why Kurt Warner had so much success because of you know how quickly he'd get rid of the ball and it was almost like he threw it sidearm or whatever. Um, I think this is a good combination. The two men and how they're teaching, how they're communicating, I think it's a good thing for Marcus. And I'd, I'd heard great things about Pat for a long time, so I was very pleased when the Titans made that hire at quarterback coach. There's always a position battle or two in a training camp. Um, right now, I mean, I think the Titans are pretty solidified in a lot of their starting spots. But give us a, a place or two that you think will be something that's interesting to keep an eye on during training camp. You know, obviously, as we sit sure. here at the beginning of May. 
Yeah, I, uh, left guard. I think there's going to be a real battle at left guard. Obviously, Quentin Spain is going to try like heck to hold on to that spot, but Xavier Suofilo and Kevin Pamphiel are going to battle him. And, you know, that's going to be something to watch overall and uh, to see how the offensive line shakes out overall. Um, I think that's going to be something to watch. You know, maybe some at nose tackle, but I think Betty Logan and Austin Johnson are both going to play. So that's probably not as not as big a, a role overall. Um, you know, maybe the third running back spot. Although I think Fluellen is going to be harder to put down than what people think because of what a good special teams player he is. And w- with the fact that we will not carry a fullback this year, I don't think. Um, that's probably going to end up being Luke Stocker if, if they get in sets where they play a fullback. We could carry, you know, logically could carry four tailbacks. So the third tailback thing may be, may be overrated. I, I think the most interesting part of our roster is going to end up being roster spots 47 through 53 and how they stack that. Do they keep three quarterbacks? How many receivers do they keep? How many offensive linemen do they keep? Uh, what do they do at, in the secondary? Now, how deep do they go? There is it five corners and five safeties, or six and five, or five and four? Um, how many outside linebackers do they keep on the roster? To me, that's going to be the most interesting part. Uh, how are these? How are these running back carries going to be split up? Uh, you've got Henry. <laughs> you know, you've got Henry here. We're thinking he's ready to carry the load, and then you bring in Dion Lewis, who absolutely shouldered the load for. New England, you know, he's a smaller guy. So how on earth are they going to handle that? I, what I've said all along is I, I think your your number one back is Derrick Henry. I think he goes from number two to number one. But is that going to be a number one like Eddie George was with 400 carries? I don't think so. I, I think you're going to see Deion Lewis uh, carry the ball, and I, I don't think it's all situational. I think Deion Lewis – has the ability to do, and this is going to sound crazy because you see them standing next to each other, and you're like, seriously? Um, but I think he has the ability to do a lot of what Derek can do, and that's he can run inside, he can pass protect, he can, I mean, he is a really capable back in every way. Now, is, is he probably a little better catching the ball? Yes. Uh, would he be more of a candidate for third down than Derek? Yeah, probably so. I mean, you could say that. But I don't, I don't think Derek has to come off the field all the time either. So I think we're going to be more of that community of backs, much like the, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles were. You watch the Super Bowl. They had three guys play significantly in different ways. I think that's what you're going to see with us. I think you're going to see those two are obviously the leaders. If one of the other two can get in the mix, that's great as well. But Deion Lewis is is here to play, you know, and he and he's not just here to play third down, which I think is some of the misconception. People are like, why would you sign Deion Lewis? He's a good player, you know. I mean, it's it's like why would you sign Malcolm Butler? He's a really good player, you know. <laughs> you're 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 looking to give yourself as many options as possible with good players because the other thing too is there may be weeks one of those guys is not available, and boy, then you're sure glad you've got the other one. Okay, last thing for me. Uh, you talk we talk about depth at safety. 
you know, maybe they need to add something else at running back. What What do you think is the the priority that John Robinson has left on this roster currently? Good question. Uh, I still think you know you you would look at options at outside linebacker. Now you may, have, like I said, you may have one of the guys on the current roster really blossoming in a way that gives them confidence, or or have the ability to think, okay, maybe Evans goes out to outside linebacker if we if we have a pinch or whatever. So maybe that's out there. I, I still think you're looking at inside and outside linebacker. I still think you're looking at safety. I, you know, I think you're you're probably interested to experiment in, in the backfield if somebody were to come available or at wide receiver. The nice part is I don't think there are things that you immediately have to do. And John is going to, you know, the one thing we know for sure about him with how he is in May is not only is he going to keep churning and not only is he going to give himself options, but he's just not going to get back into a corner. So he's going to take a look at all of these guys as much as possible. He's going to give them the reps that he possibly can. And, you know, that's some of what he did by making some of the roster moves that he made on Monday by letting three players go is he's saying, okay, there are other people that we need to see get these reps to get an idea. If you're a young player who can help, He's gonna he's gonna absolutely give you the chance, which is goes back to you know some of what I'm saying about Corey Davis. Yes, it's just Corey Davis's second year in the league, but if you're good enough, then then he is going to give you the chance to step forward and going to have some expectations that you step forward. So I do think most of the additions that you would see would be on defense. Uh, but at the same time, if there's an offensive player out there who comes available and, and that player is one that, you know, potentially could make a difference, he's not going to be scared to do that. If you'll remember, though, just to give you an idea of how he plays this, we brought Eric Walden in last year for a visit in the spring and then did not end up signing him until July. You know, waited on that and... You know, we didn't get in a hurry, told him, hey, you do what you need to do. And then we came back and, you know, Walden was a nice rotational player for us a year ago at a very reasonable price. So, again, John's not going to get in a hurry, but he will make moves when he feels like he, he sort of has to do that. All right. Well, Mike, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, jump on with us tonight. I think, are y'all recording another episode of y'all's podcast on this week? I think we will. Yeah, I think we'll get together Wednesday and kind of uh, do some review. We like to pick Jim Wyatt's brain because he's, he's really smart. And uh, Dave McGinnis is, is really smart. And so uh, we'll pick their brains a little bit and also uh, see what's you know, what some of Jim and Amy Wells' reaction was to what they did in Dallas. They were both there. And uh, I'm interested to ask them a bunch of questions about what they what they did and what they saw and potentially how that could be moved around to Nashville. I really think we're in this thing for one of these drafts, to, to be able to host one of these drafts in Nashville. But uh uh, apparently, AT and T Stadium and and the Cowboys really set the bar high with what they did overall. Sounds like, sounds like they had a tremendous amount of success with a really good plan 
inside the stadium and outside the stadium. That's awesome. Well, like I said, we really appreciate you uh, jumping on and joining us. And like I said, you can check out their podcast. And obviously, Mike does all kinds of the videos and stuff at Titans Online. And then, obviously, game day, you can hear him calling the game. So, Mike, uh, again, we appreciate the time. And we'll hope to catch up with you sometime down the road. Well, thanks, guys. You you guys do a great job. And I enjoy reading your stuff and following all that you do. And, and really appreciate that you'd have me on the show. All right. Well, we really appreciate you joining us. So, again, uh, thanks for listening to us tonight. Um, and then again, special thanks to Mike Keith for jumping on with us. Uh, we'll have a couple more shows this week. Uh, so, again, follow us on the site, museummiracles.com. Uh, check everything out that we're doing there. Uh, still tons of recap and stuff that, with this draft that just happened. And uh, so we'll be keeping up to date on all of that. And then starting to break down the roster, what the roster looks like with these new additions and that kind of stuff. So, again, museummiracles.com. You can check all that out. Subscribe to the podcast, Locked on Titans, so you get the new episodes as soon as they're available. So for Mike Keith and for Terry, this is Jimmy saying thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all later this week. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Podcast Network, but why stop now? Check out the daily Locked On Podcast Network for your favorite MLB team. Find it right now in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to subscribe or follow so you never miss an episode. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.